Good morning, everybody. Um, I looked it up. This is, wow, that's really loud. This is session 10 of our class on the book of Revelation. Now, I say that not for you guys sitting here in the room. It's mainly for anybody who listens on our podcast, because we do record this, and then we post it later on our podcast. Um, and so they might be interested to know they're joining us on session 10. So if you're interested in the beginning stuff, you might want to go back and listen to the earlier sessions. But um, today is May 30th, 2021. Um, I'm Pastor Longman at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. So glad to have all of you who are here joining us in person. And I'm looking at our Zoom feed and we've got exactly nobody online. So everybody's in person. Yay! It is terrific to be coming back to kind of normal. Um, so before we get going, I've lost my mouse. There it is. Q&A. Any questions that anybody has about anything? I'll answer all questions. Yeah, soon. I, <laughs> so the question was, when's the Lord coming back? I'll, I'll use an answer from my days as a programmer, which is RSN. We use that all the time. People would say, when is such and such a feature going to be implemented in your software? You're a tech guy. You know what it means, don't you? RSN, yeah. Real soon now. <laughs> it's sufficiently vague that it works in all situations. We, <laughs> that's probably wrong. <laughs> a week from Thursday at 4.30, yeah. I read in a book somewhere that it is not for you to know the times or places that have been set by the Father's own. All right. What else? Other questions about anything? Um, the, the, I know the burning question is, when are we going to get rid of masks in the early service? Because a lot of people have asked me about that. Um, Rogers, you know, dropped their mask mandate this week. Um, they waited to do it, I think, largely because they wanted to just kind of have the school year consistent. And so they waited, so it ended on the last day of school. 4.37 p.m., there it is. <laughs> That's a time we do know. <laughs> so Rogers has dropped their mask mandate. The numbers continue to look really, really good. I, I've been watching Arkansas, though. Arkansas has just kind of been bumping along. Um, we've hovered right around 2,000 cases active at any given moment, um, 175 or so people in the hospital at any given moment. So it's not like gone but it's been pretty consistent and it's not skyrocketing like it was. Um, the elders meet on Tuesday and that's usually when we talk about how we do that kind of stuff. So my guess is coming out of Tuesday, we will have some new guidance. Um, and my hope and prayer is that it is masks optional at all services and all that silly orange tape will come down. Yay. And all the people said, yay. Yeah. Good. So that's what's going on with that. Other questions, anything? Yes, Lee. When will we move this class back in the classroom? I, I don't know, because I got to boot somebody out of there to do it. Let me ask you all that, though. Do you, would you prefer to be back in the classroom? It worked better for you? Some people are like, no. Some people are like, yeah. Well, <laughs> I was thinking, before COVID, I think we peaked at about 40. And it was tight. It was tight. We've been hovering around 25 lately. Um, so yeah, I think we could fit in there. I think, and you know, you all know that I, my preference is always to have kind of a circular table because we're all part of the conversation. Um, and that room 
actually lends itself pretty well to that. So um, the answer to that question, Lee, is RSN. <laughs> um, I, I do think, and, and we'll talk about this more um, in different channels, but I do think we're probably going to drop the Zoom feed um, because everybody's here in person now. Um, and obviously we have less interest in it. So it's probably time to drop that, um, which is fine. And, you know, I, we've got, I have, it's not like I get to drop my Zoom account, <laughs> but, but, all right. Anything else, other questions? I'm talking a horn outside. Okay. Let's uh, begin with our devotion for the day. Again, this is from By Faith Alone, just a series of devotions by Martin Luther. Uh, today's May 30th. It is May 30th, isn't it? Real blessings. Um, and the verse is from Genesis 27, verses 28 and 29. May God give you dew from the sky, fertile fields on the earth, and plenty of fresh grain and new wine. May nations serve you. May people bow down to you. As I said, the title is Real Blessings. Luther wrote, wishing you good things, or nice, obedient children could hardly be considered giving you a blessing because of the uncertainty of the outcome. But the blessing that Isaac gave Jacob was neither empty words nor good wishes from one person to another. Isaac's blessing was definite and would certainly come to pass. It wasn't just a wish. Isaac actually gave Jacob something. Um, telling him, in effect, take the gifts that I'm promising with my word. Saying, I wish you a strong and healthy body and mind doesn't mean much. But if I were to hand you $1,000 and say, I'd like you to have this money, now that would be different, wouldn't it? Similarly, Jesus told the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. If he were merely wishing the best, he could have said, poor man, I wish you were healthy and strong, but that wouldn't have cured or strengthened the sick man. Those good wishes would have accomplished little. The Bible isn't filled with good wishes. It contains real blessings that actually come to you. We have these kinds of blessings in the New Testament through Christ. We receive a blessing when the pastor says, receive forgiveness for your sins. Um, if he were to say, I wish that God would show you favor and mercy, give you eternal life and forgive your sins. Well, that would be just an expression of love. Instead, he says, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those words have the power to actually forgive you if you believe. So I am loving that we're having to set up more tables. Awesome. Welcome. We've got, I think there's an attendance sheet floating around. So make sure you sign up on that because, yeah, I get paid by attendance. Um, thank you guys for putting tables up. I'll send this back here. Can you take it? Thank you. All right. Let's start with a word of prayer then. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the sun that's shining outside. Um, for all the ways that you bless us, and you actually deliver on those blessings. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us today as we study your word, um, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and, and clarify for us what you want us to understand from it. So be with us, 
Guide us, lead us, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're in Revelation. At the moment, um, you're probably looking at a sheet that says lesson four in the top corner. We've got like two questions to go on there. And then we're going to jump into lesson five. So the sheets for lesson five are over here, although I think, Dave, you passed them out already, right? Everybody's got a lesson five sheet, our new one. Okay, if we get there and you don't have it, we'll get you one. Um, so we're looking at Genesis, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter three. Chapter two and three are all these letters that Jesus dictates to John to send to the churches. And so John is kind of in this amazing place where he has seen the resurrected and ascended Christ. And then he has spent time with Christ as he's written all of these letters to the churches. So he's kind of seen the whole of, of the frustration happening in the churches on earth and all that's going on. And in, in the next chapter, when we get into chapter four, we're actually going to take it a step up, right? He's going to ratchet everything up and John's going to be taken up into heaven and get to see the holy throne room and all this kind of stuff. But for now, we're still in the letters and the last one, this, this letter to the church in Laodicea. So chapter three of Revelation, beginning at verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the word, oh, we got somebody joining us. Hang on. All right. There's Shirley and her Bernthal. Hey, Shirley. Okay. So chapter three. Uh, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and my clicker doesn't work anymore always something, you know. Mac made a comment this morning when I walked in. He goes, you not only have to be a pastor, you got to be a, an IT guy. <laughs> Fortunately, I was. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Um, uh, we've heard this now several times because we've kind of run over this ground multiple times. Anything that popped out at you or that, that caught your attention that time through it? Pastor. <laughs> yeah. It'll be a really big throne if we all get to sit with him on it. <laughs> yeah. 
oh yeah, we think of God as being pretty busy, right? Like he's not hanging around just chilling on the throne. He's got stuff to do. I was, there was a great, do you remember um, Bruce Almighty? Do you remember that movie with John Kerry? Where, where, you know, he's basically going off on God and God was like, fine, I'm going to give you my job for a little while. See how you like it. And, and one, one of the things that I always remember is the prayers. Do you remember the prayers in the movie? <laughs> John Kerry, or now taking on God's role, right, sits down at his computer to deal with all the prayer requests. <laughs> and he's looking through them and he's just blown away by all the things and the hurt that people are dealing with and all that. And finally, he was like, this is too much work. And he just goes, accept all. Boop. <laughs> he says yes to everything. <laughs> Which, by the way, it didn't go very well for everybody. <laughs> yeah, but he's a busy guy, right? He's not hanging around doing nothing on the throne. What else? Anything else jump out at you? Okay. Um, so I think we have two questions left. What are the two promises that Jesus gave his disciples in Luke 22, verses 29 and 30? Now... I'll, I'll go ahead and read it because I, I looked these up for you guys ahead of time for efficiency's sake. <laughs> Jesus said, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what are the two promises that Jesus makes to his disciples? Okay, yeah, so we'll be with him. And, and, ooh. Right, right. Okay, so you're going even deeper than just we get to be with him, but not just that, but he gives us a kingdom. Right. So if we break it down, I mean, specifically what he says is first, you get to eat and drink at my table, kind of what you were saying, Elaine. We get to be with him. Eat and drink at my table. Meal time is a big deal, right? So if you have a meal with somebody, that says something about your relationship with them, right? So having a meal together is a big deal. That's why part of the reason, part of like many reasons, that Holy Communion is such a big deal. Because we as a congregation come together at the table to receive this meal that Christ gives to us. And P.S. it is his own body and blood. Um, and, and that eating and drinking together says something about our relationship with Christ. And it says something about our relationship with each other. Okay. It, it's one of the astonishing things about Holy Communion is the fact that there's this aspect, right, between me and God, and there's this aspect between me and everyone else who's gathered there. And it's not just us and my home congregation, and here too a little bit. We had a, a communion rail that was in the front, and it wrapped around to the sides, and it actually ended at the back wall in, our, in my home congregation, okay? And I, and I always had this wonderful vision in my mind that as we gathered at the front half of this ark, the ark continued around to the back and the heavenly host was joining with us too. So that it wasn't just the members of Rivercliff Lutheran Church sitting around that table receiving Holy Communion. It was all of them 
and my grandmother and my grandfather and you know all of those who have gone before us who are already in the heavenly realms who are joining us in praise and adoration and in the communion that we have together isn't that beautiful isn't that amazing so first thing was eat and drink with me in my kingdom yes lynn <laughs> well, I, yes <laughs> i hope there is it talks about the heavenly banquet the question was can we use this verse to prove that there is food in heaven and i vote yes <laughs> best steak ever and we don't have to worry about global warming either so that'll be awesome don't have to worry about what calories yeah right we get resurrected with perfect bodies and we can eat all the steak and ice cream we want. Why wouldn't you be a Christian? <laughs> Second promise then, and this kind of gets more to what you were pulling out, um, Christy. Second promise is that the disciples would sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now remember, in that quote that I pulled out from Luke 22, he's talking to his disciples, the 12. And he's making a promise to them about what it looks like. We're going to see that in just a minute in chapter four. Okay. The 12 of them sitting on thrones. We'll see it come to pass. But let's get back to the first promise there. Eat and drink at my table. So what's the promise then of Revelation 3.20? That one you should have right in front of you. Revelation 3.20, behold, this is Jesus talking, red words. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. More food. <laughs> More food in heaven. How do the two tie together then? Why do we go back to Luke 22 and then look at this verse from Revelation? There you go. It, it, it's about this, what the relationship is like. You know, I said that eating a meal with somebody says something about your relationship with them, and, and much more so in Jesus' day. Although it does today too, doesn't it? If somebody invites you over to their home for, for dinner. I mean, that says something, right, about your relationship and, and the familiarity that's there. And so Jesus now is using that same kind of language to say to the church in Laodicea, and I think to all of us now, that there's that kind of closeness that comes as a result of our faith. If anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, that is to say, if anyone hears the Holy Spirit going, and actually doesn't shut that off and receives the gift that's being given, there is a very close relationship with Christ that is engendered through all of that. Thoughts? Questions? Yeah, John. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, so we're talking about the common table prayer, and 
you know, that a lot of people think of it as like a shortcut, right? That it's just, it's mindless. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let thy gifts to us be, let these gifts to us be, let thy. When I was a vicar, um, like the first day on the job, I, I was asked to pray. I think it was for something at the school or something. And, and one, of the, one of the guys at the school kind of sidled up next to me and he goes, are you a these guy or a thy guy? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, these thy. And he went, ooh, that's good. <laughs> oh, that is a good question, right? So the, when you pray at the meal, the common table prayer, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts to us be blessed. You add the doxology to the end of it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Some people do. Um, I, you know, Donna and I, we lived with the Wrights for several months while we were looking for a house when we moved here. They throw German into it. Abba, Fata Amen. And then they throw in the doxology. Yeah. And, and to your point, John, it's not just like a mindless shortcut for prayer. It actually is an invitation. And, and I think a, a beautiful way to stop and think for a second, one, about where the gifts came from, and two, about the fact that Christ is present with you, even in the, the routine activity of sharing a meal. Yeah, and, and I think it, it's a beautiful way to have words that sort of communicate what it is that's in our hearts and what our faith needs. Good point. All right, other thoughts about it? Oh, yeah. Sure. Wow, that's a whole different way of thinking about the sitting on thrones and judging, isn't it? <laughs> right, right. Um, the point, if you couldn't hear it, was about forgiveness and about how that's kind of the culmination. Of, ooh, sorry. I don't know. Thunder from on high. Um, that's sort of the culmination of this intimate relationship with Christ, that, that it, it shows it has kind of its fullest expression then in the forgiveness that we share with one another. We're not always great at that, by the way. But we look to Christ who enables us and empowers us to do it. And, and what we do imperfectly, then he circles back and does perfectly. And what a beautiful thing that is. All right. Um, one other piece to the question. What about Revelation 3.21? The next verse. 3.21, to the one who conquers, that would be the one who comes to faith and believes and follows me, right? I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, point being, does this sound a whole lot like Luke 22? Two promises in Luke 22. Eat with me. What was it? Eat and drink at my table. Sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we get into Revelation, and Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, hey, by the way, verse 20. Uh, gosh, I can't see this. I'm getting old. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. That sounds familiar. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Guess what? It's the same. 
And the point is this. You can't take Revelation and like divorce it from the rest of Scripture. It's a different thing, to be sure. And we talked about that at the beginning of the class, that, that Revelation is a different type of literature than most of the Bible. It's, a, it's called apocalyptic literature, and it kind of has its own rules in how you understand it. But because it's Scripture, it's always informed and clarified by the rest of Scripture. And, and the danger, and I think this is, there are some church bodies that have kind of wandered off on this crazy path. The danger is that you take Revelation by itself and try and draw some meaning out of it without tying it into what the rest of Scripture says. And that's when you wind up with some really wacky interpretations of Revelation. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You can't take the New Testament and pull it apart from the Old Testament. It's like it, you can't divorce law and gospel from each other. That's often the way that's used. You can't take Revelation apart from the rest of Scripture and try and understand it. It is of a whole. And all of it informs itself and explains itself. And so the only way to understand it is to look elsewhere, take the complicated passages and find the simpler passages that explain them, okay? And so we hear a promise made in Luke 22 coming from Jesus' mouth, and it gives us some insight into what's going on in Revelation 3, okay? Any other thoughts, questions? Pastor? <laughs> yeah. 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 So Pastor Spencer's talking about um those who might take verse 20 and misuse it as some kind of works righteousness that you got to do something in order to be saved. Um the first part is I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door so they take that as oh this is on me. It's not going to happen until I do it. Um, I'm looking at the cheat sheet here, the study notes. In this particular case, the image of Christ standing and knocking at the door may be related to the parable about the servants whose master is at a wedding feast. Y'all remember that one, right? Um, they're expected to be ready and waiting for him when he appears with promise that those servants whom he finds ready will be blessed. So it's not, it's not so much that, the, that, that an unbeliever must respond to this call. It's, it's that um, the call comes and you're empowered by God himself to receive that. Um, and, and, you know, again, it's one of those cases where you can't pluck one verse out. It's called proof texting, by the way. Um, this, this idea of plucking one verse out of, out of Scripture with no context around it and using that to explain an entire doctrine. We, that's not fair. We, we base our doctrine on the entirety of Scripture, and it's pretty clear that um, you can't come to faith on your own. It's not by your own power that this happens. It, it, the way we put it in the small catechism is, I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Christ or come to him. 
which is, I love that. I cannot, by my own reason and strength, I cannot believe. But with the Holy Spirit, then I'm able, enabled to do that. Lynn. There you go. Who he's quoting scripture and everything, right? <laughs> right. 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 So the, the quote was from Romans, right? The natural man cannot on his own accept the things of the spirit. Um, it's up to the Holy Spirit then to open that door. So the, we talk about the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to call us to Christ to gather us into the church, to enlighten us as to the meaning of Scripture, which is that opening of the door, and then sanctifying us or making us holy or preparing us to be in heaven. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, all of it. So if you want the big theological term, we preach divine monergism, which is to say that everything that's required for us to come to faith and to be saved is, is on God's side of the equation. He's the one who does all of it. We are merely the recipients and beneficiaries of it. The alternative would be, you know, all these very various flavors of, of, it's called, what's the word for it? Synergism, thank you. Synergism. You know, it's like God does a piece and I do a piece and there's this back and forth or something like that. But, but it, it is divine monergism. Everything that happens to bring us to faith and to salvation is God's doing, not ours. Because we can't. And, and, you know, take it back to Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. What can a dead person do to save themselves? Nothing. <laughs> They're dead. So the only way a dead person is saved is somebody, some outside force, reaches down and picks them up. And that's God's work. That's what he does. That's how we come to faith. Good? Well, several of you are nodding, so I'm going to go with good. Okay. Wow, that's a big one. When we, trying to get out of the way so you can see, when we rule with Jesus in his kingdom, I'm looking forward to my crown. <laughs> will we rule over an earthly kingdom as proclaimed by the Jehovah's Witnesses or not? What is this ruling that we're talking about? Here's the secret to the answer. Are they likely to be right? No. John 18.36 says, Jesus answered. Jesus, the one who's giving the kingdom, by the way. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not from the world. So when Christ says to you, I give you a kingdom, what's the kingdom he's giving you? <laughs> right, heaven? It's a heavenly kingdom. It's not of this world. It's not, by the way, what we think automatically. Human reason doesn't work real well in trying to understand the things of God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thought, you know, all that kind of business. So it's not an earthly kingdom. It's a new heavenly kingdom. We're going to get to it in Revelation a little bit. The language is the new heaven and the new earth. That's where this kingdom exists. Um, earlier, actually, in, in, in this lesson, we looked at Revelation 21 verses 1 and 2, which is where Jesus describes a new kingdom because the old one will have passed away. 
All right, any other thoughts on chapter three and the letters? The question is, so God's giving this kingdom to the church. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. In fact, it's a really good way to look at it because we get a glimpse of it on earth right now. Because, okay, Jesus says, right, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is John chapter 20. Therefore, actually, it's Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. But, but he, what he also says in John 20 is he tells the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. And so this is what we call the power of the keys or the office of the keys given to the church as a whole to forgive sins on earth. It's sort of that busting in of the kingdom of God. And what happens is that's a power. I mean, everybody goes, oh, Pastor Longman can forgive sin. So can you. So what happens is this, this power, the office of the keys is given to the whole church. The whole church holds this authority that God has passed on, that Jesus has passed on to us. And we gather together in congregations and we say, uh, we need somebody to do that for us. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't do it consistently and we wouldn't be very good at it. So we need, we need a guy who will be our forgiver guy and who will administer the sacraments and who will preach the word and who will make sure that we're remembering all these promises that God gives to us. And what do we do? We call pastors. We put dopey guys like me up in the pulpit to stand in the altar and to stand up on the chancel and to say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins. And it's nothing special about me. That's a power that's given to the church. And the church said, hey, Longman, will you do that for us? That's my role. That's why I'm here. Because you guys said, hey, will you be the guy who does the baptisms and who serves communion and who forgives sins and who preaches the word? Will you do that for us? And I said, yeah. <laughs> that's what that's all about. And, and so in a sense, the kingdom's already here. Because the giving of that has happened and it's playing out even today. You know? Now, is it better <laughs> when we're all in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth and everything is perfect and there's no more sin and there's no more sorrow and there's no more tears and, you know, all that kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a lot better. I'm going to be out of work. It'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. <laughs> I won't have anything to do. Yeah. So, so in a sense, it's already here. Th that is already fulfilled in a, you know, we get a taste of it. Thoughts, complaints, questions? Go, Steve, yeah. Right? <laughs> you mean they got elected to public office? Yeah. I mean, what does it mean to be a judge in the kingdom of heaven where there is no sin and therefore there are no conflicts? And, there, you know, what does it what does that actually mean? And, and I'm this is based on nothing other than just my gut. OK, 
I think it means they're worship leaders. <laughs> and you kind of see it. We're going to see it in chapter four in just a minute, in fact, because it is the 12 then who are the first ones to step down from their thrones and fall on their knees and throw their crowns before God the Father, acknowledging the gifts that he gave to them. And, you know, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a job with nothing to do. It's like you're saying, I'm out of work. Maybe they're out of work other than they have a position that, you know, we realize how important they were for the church throughout all time. I, what do they do? I don't know. Pastor Spencer, you've been a pastor a lot longer than me. What do they do up there? Yeah. They worship Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, worship leaders, right? I think. I don't know. You're right, though. I mean, it, from a human perspective, I don't want that job. <laughs> but, uh, but the, you know, again, this is a God perspective. So it's a much more positive and fulfilling thing. Pastor. Yep. I think that's chapter four, actually. Yeah. Worshiping. I think that, yeah, I think that's probably as, as good as we get. Okay, so let's look at chapter four, because that actually is going to kind of slide right into that. After this, I looked. Now, this is John speaking again. Excuse me. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I'm going to pause right there. How many of you have been to worship already today? Isaiah, right? Very similar vision. We're going to talk about it in a second. But Isaiah has a similar vision to this. Again, the rest of Scripture helps us see what's going on. Okay, so John's up in heaven. The throne's up there. One seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, Lynn, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, 
and by your will they existed and were created. Thoughts. Master Spencer. Somebody had to say that, didn't they? You mean we're going to be in church all the time? <laughs> no. Yes. No. Maybe. What a scene that is, though. That's church unlike anything we've ever done. Isn't that astonishing? And a little scary. I mean, this is, these are some kind of wild images that we're getting here. And, and part of it is that John is describing something that is probably best understood as indescribable. I mean, he's doing his best. You can kind of see, as John's writing here, he's grabbing at anything he can to try and come up with some way to explain what he saw. Oxen, lions, and flying eagles and eyes all over them and you know you can just imagine this the sensory overload that he's experiencing as he comes is actually given admittance to the throne room of god in heaven to see all that's going on so remember i said that that revelation is is a different kind of literature and must be understood a little differently are there literally four critters up there with eyes all over them flying with six wings? I don't know. <laughs> but I think in the context of the kind of, of narrative that we're reading here, part of that is to give us some stuff to sort of take apart and understand. For example, all of these four creatures that are around the throne are covered in eyes. What does that tell you about them? And, and what I'm asking you to do is to think with the mentality that you would think as you look at a political cartoon. They see everything. Exactly. They see everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every mother has eyes in the back of her head, right? Yeah, she sees everything. And this is more than that. <laughs> It's a bunch of them. So, you know, some of those things, I mean, an ox, you know, powerful, big, a lion, um, courageous and, and proud, you know, all of those things. I think part of it is, is imagery being applied to concepts that are just floating around in there that John is experiencing but doesn't know how to explain. Okay. That's yes, that's true. So the way Hebrew, Hebrews a terrific language. <laughs> Hebrews great because it has rules, but it breaks them all the time. <laughs> it's awesome. But the way Hebrew and Greek too tends to emphasize stuff. I mean, there are superlatives in, in Greek, but they tend to emphasize stuff by piling them up. And so God of God and Lord of Lords actually is a superlative in the sense that it means the highest God. The holy of holies in the center of the temple, meaning the holiest place. It becomes the superlative. And, and so that mounding up that Hebrew tends to do also plays out in things like holy, 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 which is, which is this repetition that sort of emphasizes and enlarges the concept. Holy, by the way, kavod, right? 
Kavod is the, is the Hebrew word for holy. And, and what's cool about it is it means, I think that's the right word. I have to go back and look. My Hebrew is a little bit rusty. But um, it, kavod, I know, means heavy. And so when you think of someone as being um, holy or important or set apart for something special, to be heavy is, is kind of a neat way to understand that. Hebrew does a lot of cool idioms like that. So let's get into questions, unless there's something else you, that popped out at you. Because, yeah, we're down in minus one minute. <laughs> but I'm going to answer one, one question. So, <laughs> good, one question in six parts. <laughs> Who also enjoyed the rare privilege of beholding the throne of God? I'm going to give you the shortcut answers, but you can look these up. Um, Ezekiel 1.1, in the 30th year, the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens were open, I saw visions of God. So Ezekiel himself. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. This is the stoning of Stephan, um, who was a, a bold witness to Christ, and, and the Sanhedrin wasn't having it. So they took him out and they stoned him. And uh, as they cast him out, um, verse 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So just before St Stephan was martyred, he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at his right hand. Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. This is a wild passage. It's really cool. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's talking about um, a man that he knows who was caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. It's a really wacky passage to read and, and sort of mind blowing. But Paul's talking about a man that he knows who was, as he puts it, caught up into paradise. And, and the, the implication of it all is that this is a person who had been given access to the heavenly realms somehow or another, okay? Some, some surmise that maybe it was actually Paul himself, and he's talking about it in the third person. Um, but it's an interesting passage worth looking up. Um, so Paul talks about that. First Kings twenty two nineteen. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So Micaiah, the prophet, says he saw God. Micaiah was a prophet who gave a negative prophecy to Ahab. You remember Ahab? He was a bad king. He was the one who got together with Jezebel. And they worshipped Baal. And they had all the high places cut down and all that kind of stuff. So Micaiah was a prophet sent from God who announced that Ahab would be defeated. And sure enough, later that day, um, Ahab died when he was struck in battle by a chance arrow. Just happened to hit him. So it was Micaiah who made that announcement to him. And then the last one, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. This is the Old Testament reading for today and worship. Um, as Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and he goes, interesting that his imagery is similar. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, this will sound familiar too, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So there you've got one, two, three, five different examples of folks who saw God, and in particular, that heavenly throne room. Are there others can you think of?
Moses is one. Um, as he's bringing the Israelites out, um, he actually goes up on the mountain and he sees God face to face. Remember, he comes down with his face glowing. They actually put a thing over it because it freaks people out. Um, the elders briefly get to see God um, when they get called up from the Israelites. Who else? You had one on who? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob's ladder. He saw God. Anybody else? Noah. Hmm. Noah certainly interacted with God. I'm not sure if he ever saw him. I don't remember. Elijah's, yeah, Elijah, well, was taken up anyway, so probably did. Noah's an interesting one. I'm not sure. Certainly did, yes. So he certainly communicated with God. Don't know. I, I think scripture doesn't tell us. So yeah, or how, how did that communication come to him? Was it in a vision? Was it, we don't know. So that's an interesting one. I like that one. What? Yes. Yep. Yep. Right. Right. So the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, you've got um, Peter, James, and John are there, and they see Jesus transfigured with Elijah and with Moses, which are representative, by the way, of the law and the prophets. That's where that comes from. Um, okay. There are probably others that we're missing, too, which is really cool. I mean, think about this opportunity that some people have been given to actually see God, which is a terrifying prospect, honestly. Um, and, and you'll hear it in that reading from Isaiah, you know, woe is I, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. I mean, you know, and I've seen God, and what happens if you see God, you're going to die because he can't abide sin. So it's just an astonishing thing to think that there are these people who have had this vision. And now John gets added to the list because John gets this vision of the heavenly throne. And I will stop right there. <laughs> and I'll make a mark so I know where we quit. Um, and we will pick up on question number two next week. Um, I'm going to pray for you, Ken, because I know you've got a big week coming up. Ken's going to be traveling to Pennsylvania with Pat's remains to lay them to rest finally. So our prayers go with you. Um, any other prayer requests? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us, especially for the blessing of faith, that you have sent your Holy Spirit and you have drawn us into this relationship with you, a relationship that has eternal consequences and, and the blessings that you have promised us. Um, we pray for our brother Ken as he will take Pat um, for her final resting place. We just ask that he would have safe travels, um, that your peace would envelop him throughout it all, um, and that you would remind him of the love that you have for him and that you had for Pat in bringing her to faith, um, and that she is with you now, and that she is awaiting our final resurrection when we'll see her again. Be with each of us as we go out from here. Guide and lead us in all that we do. Give us the words to speak so that we can share this amazing good news with others. Um, we ask all of it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Blessings. Have a great week. See you next week.